millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've only done two remote podcasts. One, the first one was a massive pain in the ass because it sounded like shit and I had to her microphone was no good. And then the next one was another friend of mine in Mexico and she's being really cagey on sending me her side of the recording. So that's why I just like to get people to come to my house or I go to theirs because then it's just done. So that's why I haven't really been doing too many on my end. And now with everything locked down, there's just not that many bands coming through. So I've slowed down quite a bit. Is it locked down again where you are? Yes, it has been in Melbourne the last two weeks. But I think more so than that, before that, things were open. But the there's just not much touring happening and not much international, well, no international touring, obviously. So hasn't been any chance to get any international guests and sort of not that many Australian guests that I haven't interviewed already or that I want to interview them or they're just um, difficult to get hold of or there's lots of shit bands who I don't want to interview. So, there's not, <laughs> it's not that much option here all of the time. I saw you had Murray from the Wiggles on though. That was a good one. I had Murray from the Wiggles. Yes, I did. He was very lovely. That was crazy. I remember I was listening to that when you were talking about how much they used to tour. Like doing like, was it like four shows a day or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's totally. Madness. madness. Like something like, like, you know, 500 shows a year or something. Yeah. <laughs> something that just made no, no sense for years, for years and years. I mean, it sort of said when I was looking into it on um, Wikipedia, it said something like they're, they were grossing like 30 to 40 million a year in their sort of big years when they were touring <laughs> a lot. It's not so, bad. Like a, yeah, like a huge fucking international touring band, like sort of anyone. Not quite the Rolling Stones, obviously, but you know, almost. Make money while the I hay think, shines. Um, no, make hay while the sun shines. Make money while the hay shines, bro. <laughs> what was that? that. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm actually going to write that on my list because I have a list of um, 
people's misquotes. Let's have a look. <laughs> Make money while the hay shines. You're going in there. That's very good. What else is on the list? Uh, let me just get this in. Make money while the hay shines. Very good. <laughs> um, the other ones on the list. Uh, uh, my heart's beating out of its chest. What have I got? I've got my feet on the pulse. Someone said. Take everything he says with a bar of soap. It's not quite right. <laughs> um, keep your ears peeled. <laughs> I was like, eh, oh, it's I not too it's far a- away. Yeah, not too far. Um, I've read every book under the planet. I thought that was <laughs> a little interesting. Not the oh god. Anyway, you can make <laughs> a TV right. show. This one, I, this one I like. She has the world in her oyster. Where are you gathering all these from? Just conversations? Yeah, basically. Idiots on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette <laughs> when I watch that um, conversations. <laughs> Probably some things I've said, to be honest. Do you ever um, do you ever do that lyrically? Would you ever just kind of pick something out of a conversation? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't. Just because I don't ever write lyrics in that way. I don't sort of have a scribbly journal of, you know, things that I hear people saying, oh, that would make a great lyric. Lyrics are like the last thing on my mind ever when it comes to making music. So it's sort of, it's more just, um, they're deciphered out of the gibberish, like mumbly vocal that I sing. And then I might try and pilfer ideas out of that rather than having pre-written lyrics. I've been working with some people who have pre-written lyrics before we start making a song. And I find that you end up trying to cram things in that don't work where the best way I find is to just sing whatever comes out of your face and then build lyrics to what was coming out of the phonetic sounds and melodies that came out of your mouth. And then it works better that way. Just singing in Klingon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, totally. That always works. And then maybe if you've got some lyrics that, you, you know, you've got an idea for a song, then you can conceptually write lyrics to the Klingon. But if you just have words beforehand, it's sort of... I just find it doesn't really, it's like square pair ground hole. I mean, yeah, would it limit you melodically? Yeah, I think so. I think it definitely does. And also you don't, you don't go for what the correct like phrasing needs to be because you're sort of jamming the words in there. Whereas if you just, if you know that it needs to be like dun, 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 and then you've got words, you're like, take it out of, and then you just put as much as in as you can and it doesn't really work in the same way so yeah i've I've never done that um i do write lots of stupid things down in my phone like lists of names that i've seen that i thought were really entertaining um misquotes quotes um geez what are some of the good names these are like from films and just when i hear it when i'm waiting at the airport and stuff the last one i put in sterling hinch hinch life hinchliff before that was Studs Turkle, uh, Nick Nurse, Charles Dance, Tip Tipping, Jimmy Silver, Donna Tennis. <laughs> I got a, the list of names is ridiculous. What Jeff are all Foot. these names for? They're just people's names that I've seen written down like on um, film credits or when I am watching a documentary or I meet somebody or I'm reading a book or, you know, you're hearing an interview with someone. There was um, Reverend Dr. Jeremiah reverend dr jeremiah fennel that was someone was like that's a good name so i just wrote it down he's come he's written my phone after frosty stillwell <laughs> fuck before that was leslie schatz i don't know where i'm getting them from but they're all real what was charles dance doing on there uh who's charles dance he's a british actor well there you go i just think i like the name charles dance it is a good name 
Yeah. That yeah, is a, he's a, a very kind of posh theatre British actor who's in, he's been in like Game of Thrones and Godzilla and all that when it comes to blockbusters, but did a lot of like all the Shakespeare stuff before then in the 90s and all that. That makes sense. Yeah, I must have watched something with him in it and just seen the name in the credits and then I'll quickly try and pause the credits and write it down if I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, jo- my list of jokes in my phone is ginormous. Um, some hideous ones in there. <laughs> so I've got lots of fake song titles of songs that I've never ever used, but and oh, fake band names as well. Fake band names are great. Yeah, what's some of yours? Do you have some good ones? The John Lewis Pedestrian Diversion. Oh, very good. <laughs> it's I a like bit that. kind of Brian Jonestown Massacre, but if they came from like <laughs> Slav. <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, my, I don't have any. Um, I don't have any that great actually when I'm looking at it now nothing that's making me no no let me look a little longer the sex <laughs> terrorists yeah it's okay that's kind of like a 70s punk band type thing that's the vibe yeah. we're getting from that the alcoholic priests i thought that could be quite fun <laughs> that's a very australian band name cocaine jesus as well i feel like someone else said that one Isn't yeah that it is kind of australian no is, is cocaine jesus a band yeah Maybe it's a real band and I've just written it down. I thought that someone I knew has obviously come up with it or me, but maybe um, maybe we pinched it. You know, it'd be interesting to do to try and write a song from like one of these bands. Yeah, totally. I know. That's why they're there. Like uh, me and um, myself and Aaron, who Shanahan who used to be in Miami Horror, would just on tour would come up with these sorts of ideas all of the time. Just always making up fictional characters and TV shows and plot ideas and fake songs and fake band names and everything. It was all like we were one day going to get round to doing something with it, but so far we haven't. And I mean, him and I don't actually speak anymore, so it's been years, but the ideas are there somewhere. Maybe I'll get to use them at some point. Get a book. Mm, yeah, maybe it's just going to be a book of lists, like toilet pa- like a toilet reading book and i'll just have all of my lists on there maybe kind of coffee table type thing yeah but toilet table really (laughs) let's be honest i got a great one of them a few (laughs) weeks ago called daily rituals and it's like every kind of section in it is like half a page and it's the daily rituals of some kind of famous artist from history like beethoven or plato Ah. or picasso it's a good one can do you can you tell me any of these daily um rituals or you can't remember yeah, I mean, a lot of the composers and stuff used to go out and walk for like hours and hours and hours and they would take paper with them. Like Beethoven would go out and walk for six hours and come up with like symphonies and melodies and stuff when he was out walking. That was a big theme with a lot of them. They were all like very kind of organized apart from Francis Bacon, whose studio was just filled with like broken wine bottles and he shows up at like midnight, half cut, ready to rock. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to have to do that. I'd rather do the organized one these days. I don't want to have to be half cut and like putting stuff into you in order to be able to create. Sounds, it's just so toxic, isn't it? It's going to destroy your life eventually. Yeah, I think he made it pretty far though. I think he was kind of good until he hit 65 and then he just went off a cliff. Kind of caught up with him. Fuck, that's, yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. I imagine that if he was living that life, the people around him probably um, found him quite difficult. Maybe he survived. You see the fact that he made it to 65, but what kind of a life are they living sometimes if they're sort of behaving in those, you know, difficult ways? Like Frank Sinatra, you know, you can sort of glorify like, oh man, he was so cool. He was drinking 
uh, whiskey all the time and getting about doing his thing and womanizing. And it's like if you met his children or other people that people are like, oh, Frank was a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> and he like, was not nice to be around, but you sort of immortalized this sort of rock star life. I mean, I imagine Keith Moon was probably really, really difficult and tortured and just sort of di- died before anything caught up with him. Yeah, I was going to say, how old was he when he went? 27. Was he one of the 27? I'm not, sure. I'm not sure with him. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit later, but I'm just speculating. I don't I don't really know. But yeah, it's sort of we glorify these wild artists, but really they're sort of it's not something to aspire to, I don't think. Why do you think we glorify them? Uh I feel like a lot of people do. They're always talking about it. Maybe it was when I was younger, um maybe more so than older. But, you know, people love Jim Morrison. Um, he was probably a massive pain in the ass. <laughs> and I think, like, yeah, Keith Moon, rock star shit, like smashing stuff and being a drunk and being a lunatic and breaking things and causing havoc and driving cars into swimming pools and that. It, it, I think you cause more pain than joy. Net negative. Yeah, I think so. But we sort of, there is this glorification of um, alcoholic rock and rollism. It's always been there. Like people talking about Iggy Pop and stuff. I imagine people who are friends with him at that point in his life probably like, oh, Iggy was horrible. When he was a sort of drug addict, he was probably a horrible person. Because I just don't <laughs> think you can be a drug addict usually. Not all the time, but most of the time if you're a drug addict, you're probably not that fun. Yeah, well, you have no perspective. So you might not be intentionally being a bit of a dick, but you have no idea what's going yeah. on. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think when I was younger, I sort of, looked up to that sort of way of life a little bit and I sort of took it as far as I could and then realized that ultimately it's not it's not something to um yeah it's not sustainable it's not really something to idolize not something that you need to pursue and it makes more sense in books and on in films but in reality it's actually just quite difficult and makes you a bit sad yeah well if you come back to the Frank Sinatra thing where you see him sitting in bars drinking whiskey probably just a bit lonely yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you do end up lonely, don't you? You just end up kind of a bit mean and miserable and lonely, for sure. Yeah, better. Yes, definitely. Pint of bitter. <laughs> <laughs> did we did we speak about Telenova last time you were on? I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe a little bit. Maybe it was like, it would have been happening, obviously, but I don't know um, how far along in the trajectory of what was supposed to be happening was. When was the first single out? Six weeks ago, maybe. Maybe something like that. A couple of months, maybe. Well, you did those shows in March, didn't you? The two sold out one. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm a little... um, That sounds correct. Yes, I think we did. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My brain's a little scrambled. We've done some shows this year, for sure. It's just between this year and last year and things getting closed down and starting up again we put i know we put the single out about two months ago and then we put the second single out probably a couple of weeks ago two or three weeks ago the tranquilize one bones is the first single and then the ep comes out on the second of july yeah it's been an odd year like looking what you were just in there kind of looking back like time feels very strange yes exactly stretched but also fast yes really slow and long and fast and <laughs> yeah, all of it at the same, <laughs> it's all at, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's happening now and people are being nice to us. So I'm happy. Well, yeah, that, that is one thing we spoke about last time. Actually, you were kind of talking about how it's odd that some projects take off and start to gain a bit of momentum and others 
don't so much and there's no real rhyme or rhythm telling which one it's going to be but Telenova from the get-go seemed to kind of have a bit of momentum behind it and a bit of buzz and people were getting involved and engaged from the beginning yes I know I think I don't know I mean I, I know why it's working with this band because Ange's got a really magnetic kind of aura about her she's got a beautiful voice and she's just really charming and lovely and a good person <laughs> and so I think uh, all of that makes people want to work with us and her and you know they sort of it feels like you're going to get some reward from doing it and that she's not also going to be difficult which maybe is um charming as well but yeah i mean with others yeah other other bands i don't know it's just it's a lottery isn't it you don't really ever know what's going to happen so just keep chipping away at it i suppose but yeah we're now that we're this is i mean we kind of felt good about this for a while and now we're all in like everyone's committed we're figuring out the record at the moment and hopefully we'll have that sort of recorded by the end of this year and just spend the next yeah spend the next few years just pushing this i've sort of i want to and i think everyone in the band's keen to sort of do two or three records one a year if we can and just crank like just go hard while make make sun while the hay shines bro <laughs> that's what you i mean that's kind of what you've got to do in these kind of times like everyone seems to be hungry for new music quite constantly We've almost gone back to the yeah. album cycle of it being one a year that it used to be in the 60s. Yes, totally. That is true. I think some people, like quite a few artists have set that precedent, haven't they? Like bands like King Gizzard putting out four records in a year or whatever. And people just, people always dropping stuff, aren't they? That's like the <laughs> new thing. So you've just got to be dropping all the time. And it doesn't have to be... I mean, look, you labor over it, obviously, and make it the best you can, but don't always think that you're making, um, that you have to make Sgt. Pepper every single time you make a record. Just because I guess even when they were making Sgt. Pepper, they were just making a record, right? It's, it still would have been done in a few months' time, and they were always, they'd done one probably earlier in the year, and then they're moving on to the next one. So just, just keep working, get it done. I mean, I think the hip hop stars have kind of got it figured out a little bit as well, where they'll do albums and they'll do mixtapes. So they can drop a mixtape like every other year and they'll drop an album every other year, which kind of protects that concept of the album, but also allows them to release music on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. And where it's easier in that world is that you can use five or six different producers for your record who have all made beats for you. And then you just, you know, not not to simplify, it's not, not every hip hop artist is like this, but, you know, I mentioned a bunch of them are just coming in, doing their verses and coming up with the the vocals. And then the rest of the shit's done by someone else. So that's, you could get um, 10 different songs on your record from a bunch of different producers. You don't have to sit there personally and labor over all of it and come up with everything. They just play you 10 different beats on the day and you're like, that one's hot, let's do that one. And so it's just a like easier workflow you know there's like sound just fucking soundcloud beats people playing people going onto soundcloud and just rapping over the top of it you can just the way to get your um quantity up is a lot easier in that world i think well the structure's already in place you've kind of got to just put the finishing touch it not the f that's kind of diminishing it a little bit i'm trying to think of a way to yeah no it. of course no I, I, yeah i mean i mean we both understand what you're saying yeah it's not <laughs> not diminishing that at all i mean you've got to say a lot of words you've still got to come up with stuff but as maybe what you know you're one artist if you're just the rapper you didn't have to come up 
with the music so whereas when you're a band you have to come up with all of the music as well then your singer has to come up there's like a whole bunch of moving parts that have to happen but if you were just going in with a producer and they're playing you their 10 best beats and you pick two two or three of them and then you write your rhymes and come up with your chorus then it's it is kind of just done right like there's a little bit more laboring over it but that part of it's done then you've just got the song whereas i think when you're having to rehearse it write it produce it all yourself there would have been hours spent the producers have spent hours and hours before they present these songs to these big hip-hop artists so the actual hip-hop artist hasn't had to have spent all of those hours themselves doing it which i have to do with other people in the bands that i'm in the music i'm making yeah the producer is almost as much of the artist in that case as the artist himself yeah exactly and you know when you're in like a band like telenova ed and i are the producers of the music and we write it as well so there's just a bit more sort of behind the scenes stuff that we have to get done but it's not that it's not that hard we work sort of three or four days a week together only do like five hour shift really (laughs) go get some lunch have a coffee don't work too hard and um we get it done eventually the start of comedian almost reminds me of a beat i was just thinking about it there you know when you've kind of got the bass and drums come in it's that loop yeah we've stolen it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't i mean i'm not going to tell you what it's from though if you don't know so <laughs> but pe- people will know but it's from something from 20 years ago i was like ah fuck it take it i'm intrigued now yeah yeah it'll um someone will will spot it i mean so it, we've we, t- we took it from someone who took it from someone else so and i don't even think we sort of ed did it that intentionally we're just like oh that, those drums are good i guess it's like kanye some when he did um sample daft punk right yeah, yeah he yeah. took harder better faster stronger we were just like ah you know what i like those drums someone else did it but it wasn't a huge song of theirs maybe so we'll take it and use it as well as long as you're using it in your own context and kind of putting your own spin on it nothing wrong with it yeah totally yeah i mean we've definitely done that but i think um someone else had to have found that cool drum sample first and they made it more accessible to us and then we <laughs> it's the same sort of thing right like daft punk found the harder better faster stronger sample from like some deep record diving and then kanye just came along and was like oh they're a big band i'll just take their song and um, <laughs> sing over the top of that we sort of did that ourselves as well but hey they all say he's a genius so maybe we are too <laughs> but then if you only took that drum beat that song does blossom as it goes along like it kind of builds out, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I like that song. It was one of the ones that we were a bit like, eh, so not, <laughs> I don't know. It's like the most emotional one or something. So I think those ones, when they're a bit like ballady, you don't feel as excited about playing them live. But now when I listen back to it, I really, it's, I like, feel like it connects with me emotionally. It's just... um maybe we don't want to admit that we have feelings so we want to play something more bombastic <laughs> when we play live but i feel like that one has connected with a, a, there's been quite a few people who have commented on that one like the ladies from our record label were like oh we really like that song comedian i guess it's um maybe it hits you more emotionally than the other ones or something works well as a closer in that sense too oh yeah it fades out as well doesn't it You've got to be, it's, got to, it's tough to get the fade out right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you've got to be careful I, with the fade out. You're on a razor wire with that because of very few cases does the fade out work or the fade in. Oh, I love a fade in. I feel like we talked about this last time actually. Did we? I don't know. Maybe. I've talked to someone about the fade in. My first solo album has uh, the first song fades in. And I think I stole the idea from the Verve record 
Is it A Storm in Heaven, I think? Possibly. There, it's that record. There's like one of those two records before um, Urban Hymns and the first song fades in and I just always really, really liked it. This, it's such a like a great way to open a record, I think. It just sort of slowly just comes out of nowhere at you. Like uh, what's the Bowie song as well? Is it Five Years? And it, oh, I think I know Star- the song. Stardust. It starts with the drums? Yeah. Or does it actually just fade in? Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the drums. The drums just fade in slow and it's that loop. Maybe I do like a fade in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, the fade in is good. The fade out sort of, yeah, it's, uh, I, I like a fade out on a on a record. It sort of like, it doesn't work for a single or something, does it? I don't know. Actually, you know who got away with it? John Mayer on uh oh, what was that big okay. what was the singly power a few years ago i don't know i'm not i'm not up with with you're with, not a fan <laughs> with jay may <laughs> he's a fascinating nah, character nah, he is yeah um i think no nah, i'm not i'm not not no i'm not a fan no definitely not a fan i don't hate him or anything i just i find this like attempt at trying to be the coolest like guitar player dude that's it's something kind of whack about it. Like he's got, he's a really technically an amazing guitar player, but I just always find it kind of whack, like what he plays. I don't know. Just always a bit cheesy, no matter what he does. Trying he's, too hard, you think? Yeah, he wants to be Stevie Ray Vaughan or something. It's like Stevie Ray Vaughan's the heroin addict, dude. You can't be Stevie Ray Vaughan. You can't be <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. Dude, you're John Mayer. I'm sorry. Like, no matter how hard you try, you're always going to be John Mayer. And that's fine, but just. Like, just give it a bit of a rest, bro. <laughs> what was the Grateful Dead thing he did as well? You know, going tour with them yeah. for a while. Replace Yeah, of course. Uh, this is what I mean. It's like Garcia, I suppose. Yeah, like he's Garcia. trying to be Jerry Garcia. Yeah, he wants to be a guitar hero. And for a whole new generation of young people, he is their guitar hero. No, I'm he's like, not. I guess he's... He, he is. <laughs> it's weird. Kids, like kids, high school kids, you know, really want to like people i know people who have wanted to get the john mayer signature series guitar but he's it's like he's like eric clapton i freaking clapton is a like clapton sucks john mayer is actually a better guitar player than eric clapton but they're both just not Jimi hendrix so i just don't care (laughs) clapton's a bit of a prick as well though isn't he Uh, i mean probably yeah (laughs) sure i'd say he would be i don't i don't actually know but I've heard it. Like John Moore is quite a likable guy, even if he can be a bit of a yeah, yeah. He, he does seem like he's he's got a um, sense of humor, doesn't he? Yeah, I think maybe now, maybe not back in the day, but now he's definitely a lot more self-aware. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How well, did we get on a John Moore tangent? <laughs> um, he faded in. He faded out on his new single. You said. I I was going to ask you well, actually. See, you don't um, you don't have a drummer live either, do you? No, we don't. I'm not sure when or if we will. Maybe, probably, maybe. But at the moment, I, none of us really want one because the way the drums sound on the recording is such a key part of the music, like the beats that we're using. So to just do it with a live drummer would completely change. It, it would suddenly just sound like a bloke or, you know, whatever, just up the back on drums. It would just sound like drums. Whereas at the moment, because of those samples that we've taken from, you know, all this, the drums that we've created, it, we want that sound. That's like a key part of the sound of the band. So, nah, no drummer at this stage until it's until we can figure out a way to do it. And even then, I'm like, yeah, do you, do you really need one? We'll see. How would you do something like Bones live with a drum? Would you just have to throw on a sample pad? Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess that bit at the beginning, you'd just play in backing track. And then when the like main beat comes in, 
you would have the drums come in there. But yeah, I mean, that's that's it, right? Like so much of the sound is the program drum sound. So I just don't know how we would make it work. I think also at this stage when you're playing smaller venues, if you know, you're playing a festival or something, you can have a drummer and you can put triggers and samples and things in and you can get a nice mix of um the electronic stuff with the real stuff but when you're in a tiny room live drums just dominate the whole room that you're in so you can always hear the cymbals really loudly you can always hear the um the acoustic kick drum and snare and stuff so it just it just sounds weird really until you're like in a big enough um stage to actually just unbalance it yeah exactly you can't balance it in a small room so at this point at this stage we just thought nah fuck it we'll wait until We've got the money and the budget and the know-how and can do. Maybe telling over the hip-hop group. I think we've stumbled upon something here. This idea of making beats, don't have a drummer live. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, that whenever we've had people, you know, they're like, oh, you don't have a drummer. When are you going to get a drummer? I'm like, fucking Kanye West doesn't have a drummer. No one ever <laughs> says to him he's got to get a drummer, does he? And that is the sort of the kind of, we like like 90s beats, I suppose. It's sort of trip-hoppy in that way or like influenced by... Portishead and Gorillas and um, that sort of realm of music. So, yeah, I mean, all those hip hop groups would just have a DJ, wouldn't they? Yeah. Do you think those people that are saying that to you, though, if they saw you live, do you think they wouldn't ask that question? I think they, yeah, but they say it after they watch us. I'm like, oh, damn it. Were the, were the, drums, were the drums not loud enough, maybe? I, I think it's just, yeah, it may be when you look like you're supposed to be a band people think that you are supposed to have that but uh, yeah our management the first you know they were sort of saying at the first few shows and then by the last one we did they went nah fuck it it's great without a drummer just keep doing it without a drummer we're like i know thank you this is what we were waiting for like it actually <laughs> it actually works i could rather spend more money on getting a cool visual aesthetic live at this point than getting like steve on the drums you know i don't <laughs> just whatever i guess as well because when you started it was just the three of you so that's kind of the way that you've become used to working again it comes back to the idea of unbalancing it i think yeah i like the um when i've looked at videos or photos of our live shows and there's the three of us all standing in the front in a in a row i just i sort of like i like the way it looks and i guess you know yeah if we could put a drummer a bit further back behind us or something but out of the show at the moment there's <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe but it just looks cool with the three the three of us standing all in our line all doing our things singing and pressing our buttons and playing and that's fine for now yeah i mean i i, I like playing with drummers obviously i find it a lot of fun but it's not an issue at this point so i think as long as the drums are turned up loud in the front of house in the mix and it sounds fat then doesn't really matter i mean fat freddy's drop new zealand band love them no drummer and it's a party so there's been plenty of um you know you go see chemical brothers or something they don't have a drummer but it's still a party justice no drama party daft punk you can get away with it daft punk exactly giant party giant pyramid <laughs> party i can't believe they broke up oh i don't believe it they'll be back they'll be back in 10 years for the reunion tour or the reunion album I reckon it's all part of their, their giant plan. They're always playing everyone, don't you think? Yeah. Well, that's kind of what LCD Sound System did as well, wasn't it? Broke up and then yes, reformed exactly. five years later and sold lots of tickets. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. But the thing is, I guess Daft Punk didn't do a farewell tour, whereas LCD sort of did that um, that show that they played at Madison Square Gardens, right? I forget what that was called. It's some kind of farewell thing. Yeah. Um, but maybe I just thought Daft Punk could have easily not, an, you could have easily not said you're broken up. But as soon as you say you're broken up, you make an announcement, people go and stream you more. It sort of ends, it like bookends the legacy a little bit. And then you can open another chapter later on if you want to. So, it's definitely a smart move, like announcing that it's like it's officially over. But really, <laughs> is it? Thing is, they've not made much music as Daft Punk over the last decade, anyway. Done a lot of production stuff, but I mean, I feel like we we're all kind of waiting for that last record. Yeah, I just found it funny that the last record that they put out was the first time that they didn't use samples, and it was horrible sounding. <laughs> you guys are not good when you make music yourselves. You're way better when you just steal it off people and put a robot voice over the top with an 808 underneath it. I quite like random access memory. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> ah, you're not a fan? <laughs> no. No, I'm not. I mean, Lose Yourself to Dance is pretty cool, right? I could live without um, Get Lucky. Like, get Lucky's fine. I don't. It's just overplayed you know, the shit. Yeah, yeah. But it's something about get lucky, get lucky. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, but that <laughs> that one, like the Moroto one where it goes uh, at the end of it. Starts with the interview. Yeah. And then at the end, there's just this, it sort of sounds like a Tool record. Sounds like Danny Carey from Tool. Just going. <laughs> All this really nerdy prog music, musicality on that record that just feels yuck to me. I don't know. What strange. about the Julian Casablancas one? Yeah. Nah. It's okay. Enough. It's okay. Like, yeah, some of it's some of it's okay, but I mean, it's their worst album. Definitely. Yeah. I maybe mean, couldn't disagree with that, but I do still quite like parts of it. Yeah, there's look, there's some interesting parts because they're very smart, you know, dudes and they know how to make um interesting music. But I just I, this it's just the sound of it to me. It just sounds horrible. It sounds super clean. And it really well recorded and weird. Like what was cool about their earlier stuff is the samples that they used and everything sounds a bit bit crushed and it was processed in a way through old gear. But that one just sounds super hi-fi, like Hollywood studio style. And I just think about that's a bit icky. It reminds me of um, music recording school, like a bunch of third year music students studying like pro recording and everything's like just, you know, 20, 30 different microphones on a drum kit so that you can get all the um, splash cymbals and rotor toms and all that stuff. It's just really cringy. It's funny how great artists can lose perspective like that, though, and become obsessed with or fixated rather upon these ideas of making something that feels huge. Or Yeah, but then also, like, <laughs> I mean, they that made them huge, that record, right? So who the fuck am I to say? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, Get Lucky made them huge, I think. I don't know yeah. how much the rest of the album kind of... I guess it did do quite well, but it was that song that really... Yeah, but they still had that song, didn't they? And Lose Yourself to Dance was still big as well. You still heard that everywhere. I guess it was just smart teaming up with Pharrell, but it was smart for him to team up with Daft Punk too. They were both sort of scratching each other's backs. It, it, it sort of launched them both again, right? Like they were both big artists, but it made them extra big took them to a whole new level. Yeah, I think Pharrell was more kind of behind the scenes at that point, wasn't he? Yes. Doing a lot of production yeah. and writing stuff, but wasn't some, he kind of faded out of the mainstream a little bit in terms of people in the public eye. Yeah. 
totally yeah i mean he you know he'd done all those all that neptune stuff and people knew who he was for sure but he wasn't like a household name i don't think and then once he did that and then put out um what's it called happy that song happy it sort of just made him <laughs> the despicable me song yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that song was everywhere as well it that was song pretty, was too big yeah he was he was everywhere Good on you, Pharrell. What was his, the, the urban sombrero? Is that what he was getting about in that silly hat? That was what made him big, the hat. <laughs> Once he had that little hat on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Everyone needs a silly hat. Jason Mraz, Pharrell, um, <laughs> The Edge. I'm trying to think who else has got silly hats. Anyway, that'll do. <laughs> Justin Timberlake, he used to wear the fedora, didn't he? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's another John Mayer. Yeah. <laughs> He is. He is. It's true. <laughs> you quite often ask that question on your podcast. What's the one song you could never hear again? And I feel like I could put both the Pharrell songs into that camp. Yeah. If I didn't hear Get Lucky, for sure. But I mean, there's lots of songs I would choose. I guess that's not top of the list. But it, if I, you know, had a top 20 or maybe top 30, I would put that in. But um, that's not my sort of main hated one. I wrote one down the other day, actually, of what song I thought I never needed to hear ever again. This is another list for the toilet book. Song oh, you absolutely. Never to hear again. Yeah. Um, oh, fuck, yeah. I mean, I've got one more time by Daft Punk on here, actually. Nah, like come on. I've heard it too. I don't need to hear it one more time. One less time, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> What's the other one? Danger Zone. I was trying to explain that to someone the other day. From, the Top um, Gun song. Yeah, I fucking hate that song. Yeah, it's a bit kind of nineties. That's a overproduced nineties overproduced rock. Yeah, would it be nineties? It'd be late eighties, wouldn't it? Sort of right on the cusp there. I think. When was Top Gun? Was it Top Gun not like nineteen? Maybe it was eighty nine. Yeah, I feel like it's like eighty eight, eighty nine, or something. Danger Zone sounds like that. Just the end, the tail end of the eighties. Ugh. Yuck. 80s was a weird decade. A lot happened for sure. I mean, look, some probably like probably the worst, right? And I I love so (laughs) much stuff from the 80s, but someone was saying to me that they think that the 80s is the worst. And I was like, yeah, I guess guess you're kind of right. Like there was a lot of cool shit in the 90s. There was a lot of cool shit in the 50s, 60s, 70s, but the 80s has kind of got some of the cringiest. The most sort of wayward, I think. Yeah. And then the last, the, like the, the teens and the noughties, I, I don't have perspective yet, so I can't really comment, but. I think the noughties could be out there with the 80s. That wasn't a good decade. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. But then I love like, I love the electronic music that came out. I sort of feel like, um, what am I thinking of? Um, Soul Wax and Too Many DJs and that like that kind of whole electro there was a lot of cool shit in that justice well, i like streets justice. and stuff yeah there was, the streets yeah no I, I didn't get into mike skinner yeah. but i yeah i i get it like there was there was a lot there was so much going on in that decade and then you had things like the mars volta and a lot of um crazy alt rock there was there was this i think it's hard i know what you mean you're probably right <laughs> like if we had to pick another shit decade, <laughs> it would be the eighties and probably the noughties as well. But maybe I've got. I mean, look I mean, at look, pop music in the noughties. What, what are you going to kind of preserve from that? <sighs> gimme, gimme, whatever by Britney Spears. That sounds pretty bad, but I do like that song. <laughs> um, is Toxic Britney Spears from the noughties? It would be right. 
Yeah, 2001, probably, something like that. Um, what is it? Um, hey, yeah, that's got to be the noughties. Yeah. I think, okay. Outcast. And then um, yeah, that was yeah. Barkley Crazy. I like that. I mean, Beyonce Crazy in Love. Is that the noughties? Maybe. I think it is the noughties, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Late 90s, 2008, 2009, probably. Yeah. So, there's some stuff in there, but it it, it was pretty weird. It, well, it, it's, it's the same sort of thing where it thought it was the future, kind of like the 80s. The 90s sort of pulled everything back, right? And then right as it got to 2000, we're like, oh, we're in the future again. So, we're all going to be futuristic and cool looking. And now, it's just super daggy, just like the 80s. <laughs> They almost feel like in between decades as well. Do you not think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But they're yeah. not really proper decades. Like the <laughs> teens and the nineties feel like the two proper decades we've kind of had in recent times. The nineties yeah. is just kind of bridging the gap a little bit. It's a yeah. footnote. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's true. But I, I, I think we're going to have a nineties party because we did it. We threw a nineties party ten years ago. Me and my sister and I have birthdays a uh, few days apart. So, we usually have a joint party. We had a great 90s party 10 years ago and so now it's time for the noughties party. So, I'll have to get back to you because I'll have to get all the music. It's got to be strictly noughties music and everyone comes as someone from the noughties or a theme or a character or whoever you want to be. And I reckon- we're fashion. Gonna, yeah, we're going to have a really good time. And I, I think it's- We're not there yet, but I think in the next sort of five years, we'll start to appreciate more of the- the naughty stuff just like the 90s appreciation started in the last sort of five six years the naughties one will happen soon it's just such a shit name for a decade as well the naughties who coined that i want to know i don't know and i want to hold them accountable i know this i know i know i was really glad when it ended that i didn't have to say it anymore but i've kind of made peace with it a little bit now it doesn't bother me as much but at the time it just yeah, I mean, it's hard not to think of someone being naughty, isn't it? There's got to be. What else could we call it? <laughs> I think you need to. You can't. You can't do something that's even related to the year. You need to do something like. I think you need to be short. I was going to say like the new millennium or something, but no. Yeah, it's got to be. Nah, I mean the naughties is it's just a cursed decade. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. That's funny. To be fair, I mean, if you look at it, everything that's happening now is a result of the chaos that kind of unfolded over the course of that decade. It's kind of a reaction to it politically. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, fuck, you're probably right. I haven't even really thought about it. I don't, my, my politics, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Stay out of I think it. Somet- yeah, I think sometimes it can be better to be a little, yeah, out of it. Especially now because it just feels like chaos. Drive you crazy if you lived in that world all the time. Yeah, totally. No, I haven't for... A long time don't read the paper don't get any news feed blog internet action I sort of just stay away from all of it don't clickbait myself into depression if i can i just avoid all of it <laughs> doom scrolling yeah man exactly nah not not into it don't do it and i don't really know what's going on and i mean it's fine it's working for me it's like i wasn't gonna if i knew I wasn't going to do anything about it anyway, right? So, I may as well just not know. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've spoken about that on the podcast before, though, that whenever, like, you kind of feel down from all that stuff, if you go outside, you just look and it's like the sky's still there, the trees are still there. Nothing's really changed in yes. actuality. Exactly. So, yeah, I think I prefer that way of living if I can. 
see meet some nice people have a chat to people everyone seems okay it's all sort of fine try and do some more recycling i suppose if you can don't eat your chicken every day maybe <laughs> uh, <laughs> use less water i don't know and then that's like what else are you gonna do that's sort of <laughs> the most anyone can do i think donate to unicef maybe maybe they're a fucking bunch of cunts i don't know either but yeah <laughs> I'm just laughing at you calling UNICEF a bunch of cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Like it'll, it's t- something will come out soon, right? Like everyone's a bunch of cunts these days. It's like everything, everyone that was doing any good suddenly gets out of just doing something bad. Everything gives you cancer now. Nothing is ever what it was anymore. So who knows? Yeah. It's all fucked. Just blame it on the naughties. It's all the naughties fault. That's it. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask about Tranquilize as well, actually. Because that was the first song you wrote as a group, right? Yes. Yeah, we... On the first day that you met. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a songwriting workshop and we got put together for the day and it went really well. We were really happy with it. And then because we all lived in Melbourne, we just... And I've got my home studio. I just said, let's just keep hanging out. That was fun. Let's just do more tunes. And we did. And then now, (laughs) yeah, it's like two years down the line and it's all very official and we're all a band but it just went yeah i mean imagine if that hadn't gone so well on that first day then we probably nothing would have amounted from it but it just all seemed to yeah i mean we, we wrote quite a lot of songs in that week as well everyone you know you're there for five days so you do five different sessions with a bunch of other people and some of the other songs we worked on were cool but that felt the most special and I think also with some of the other songs, you're writing for other people's bands or you're writing for other people's projects. With this one, we just wrote a cool song for the three of us. It wasn't for um, Miami Horror or for my solo stuff or for Ange, you know, for anything that she was doing or for Ed's band Slum Sociable. It's like, oh, let's just write a song that the three of us think is cool. And then I guess once we wrote a bunch more together, we thought, oh, well, we, probably, we all like this and we it needs a home. So we're probably going to be easiest to just start a band and then we'll do it form a super group <laughs> i wouldn't go definitely wouldn't go that far <laughs> jesus more of a like a hooper group i think they call it <laughs> were you familiar with each other's stuff before you got put together at that songwriting uh camp? no i i knew who ed i knew what slum sociable was but i hadn't really listened to it a friend of um jono and i from all the colors uh our accountant actually He's a rock and roll accountant dude. He was he, he knew one of the guys in Slum Social. He was like, oh, you got to check these guys out. They're great. And I remember listening to it and going, oh, yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but not really paying it much paying it much mind. And then when I met Ed, it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew he was um, good at what he did. I just I hadn't really paid much attention. I think I was taking a shit when I listened to it one day. And I'm like, yeah, listening to it through an iPhone, like not paying in any respect. Classic <laughs> sort of way to just demoralize someone's like years worth of work. <laughs> you just fucking flick it on your Spotify while you're taking a shit for a few seconds. Um, but no, he was... He was he's great. I love Ed so much. He's he's really, really talented. I like his production stuff. And was in another project called Beachwood, but I didn't I have no idea about that. I don't think it's really had done that much. And she was not that stoked on it. And some sociable Ed's band was sort of just naturally was coming to an end with him and the other guy sort of parting ways. 
and yeah i mean i I'm, i'm always up for doing different projects so it's all just worked out really really nicely great timing for all of us and i don't think yeah nothing's really conflicting with it and i don't think it will like we sort of want this to be our main all of our main project that we work on now so anything else that gets in the way we'll sort of have to that will have to take um second place to this now i think did you feel did you feel like a creative connection instantly as soon as how long did it take for it to start to click once you were put together in that setting in the camp yeah it happened pretty quickly we just listened to a few songs you know you usually with every other session you'd play each other what you've done like play you know oh this is what my band sounds like this is what i do a bit but we didn't do that we just played some music that we thought was cool and then we were like, oh, yeah, I think that's cool too. You know, you play each other a few references. I mean, we were listening. The first thing we put on was that Danger Mouse and Karen O record. I hadn't heard it. And I was like, yeah, that's, I mean, I've always liked what Danger Mouse does. And so we just sort of used that as like a starting off point. Yeah, Ed had some drums, played some bass, threw down some chords. And <laughs> and I started singing. I mean, it's all very simple stuff. It's like, that's how you make music. <laughs> but um <laughs> It also, I think, uh, no one stopped me from picking the particular bass lines or chords that I wanted to do. They were like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm like, oh, wow, thank you, guys. I've sort of been wanting to write some music like this for a while. I think we we're all just like excited about the music that like it's, it's felt like something we've probably all wanted to do without knowing that we wanted to do it. And so once we've all got in a room together and enabled each other to be the do the thing that we want to do with it's just been really really nice like i love working on this music it's something yeah it's sort of a project i probably have always thought i've wanted to do but just haven't felt ready to do or haven't had the people to do it with and that's how we all feel what do you mean when you say you didn't feel ready to do it before uh i don't know really even know if that's true i mean maybe it maybe it is i suppose no probably not i think when i you know i was busy doing all the colors and wanting to play rock and roll I think with my solo albums that I've made, it was sort of heading in this sort of direction of nice music, basically, (laughs) for lack of a better way to describe it, like pleasant music to listen to. But uh, I don't think- There's a darkness to some of that stuff too, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think in terms of like the the sonic aspect of it, it's like- it's nice on the ears like i yeah, there is some darkness maybe in some of the melodies or the chords or the lyrics that you use but sonically we're sort of trying to make stuff that sounds beautiful and beautiful it can be beautifully haunting or beautifully scary or beautifully um just nice and evocative in that way but production wise that was sort of what we what we try to do yeah i mean i've always loved air and fuck it just air <laughs> i've always loved that band so much i feel like we've talked about this last time and sort of making beautiful music like that but it's just so great to have a female voice to use which is something that i have done a little bit before with um that dick and mary stuff that mariki and i my friend mariki and i have been working on but um and just sort of a different beast altogether and just a, a different um instrument to use and it's just been really cool yeah i don't know like maybe i think i wanted to do something like this but yeah like i said maybe not really just just didn't have the right people to do it with and it just so happened that we all managed to meet at this this songwriting thing which is really auspicious and cool do you think about you were saying that you know you enjoy writing for her voice do you think about it when you're kind of coming up with the instrumental sections for it yeah maybe a little um 
Yeah, 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 we do. Uh, more so in the way that initially uh, it took me a while to maybe realize that I could use more simple chord progressions and that Ange was such a great vocalist and has so much like soul and spirit in her voice that if we used did something simple, she would still find a really cool way to make it not sound generic, if that makes sense. And I guess also with the way that Ed would produce it. So I could use more simple chord progressions, like quite classic chord progressions without it sounding trite. And that's been cool. I think that like when I'm talking about not being ready, I think that's something that maybe I wasn't ready to do, like to, to go back to a more simpler, simple form of um, music writing, like of chord progressions and stuff like that. And it's been nice to be able to do that and still feel like the music sounds has, is interesting, but with um, like a song like bones, the chorus is, what is it? It's like a two, five, one or something. It's like a classic chord progression. It's really, really just um, like Beatles or Roy Orbison or Buddy Holly or something. It's like one of those sorts of chord progressions, which is something that I probably wouldn't have ever thought that I could get away with years ago. But when you have a cool vocalist and cool production underneath it, you can get away with something more simple like that. Ange kind of mirrors that in her songwriting too, like particularly on that chorus you're talking about. Like you've got the um, it's like blue skies in California, you know, loaded guns talking about the red and blue lights chasing you across the border. It's all that very kind of classical, timeless imagery. Yeah, for sure. But it never, it never feels worn in any way. Yeah. Why do, you, why, do you think that, why do you think that is? Like if you're using kind of classic chord progressions, classic imagery, but it still feels unique and fresh, what is it that's kind of creating that? I don't, I mean, is it that it's set over electronic-y music? Like, is it the marriage of classic songwriting over modern elements, perhaps? Like, it's sort of, because the, the bass and the drums are doing, like, I can't feel my face, sort of, weekend, like that club sort of thing. But then with those sort of 60s stuff over the top, maybe it's maybe it's that. Because if, if we didn't have those drums and things, underneath it it would you'd just be like a throwback song but i think it's that the marriage between those two elements that sort of gives it that fresh take i think yeah it's the same thing it's like when our monkeys did am it's like classic rock music but it's done over the top of like r&b rhythms and beats yeah yeah for sure i mean it's the same i think about um I was listening to Weezer the other day. I mean, I've always thought this, but I just was reminded of it the other day. Rivers Cuomo, it's like that first Weezer record, he's sort of doing Buddy Holly and classic 50s sort of music, but just with really distorted guitars in a 90s sort of fashion with the lyrics sort of about his life a little bit more. But that, the, the new, you know, all he did was just, not all he did, but adding something from where you are now to it. You need to add something, right? Like there needs to be a new element maybe to make it fresh. So I think that's probably, yeah, how we're getting away with it. Yeah. Shame Rivers Cuomo can't write a chorus though. Shame he can't? Yeah, he can't write a chorus. Do you know what I think? Uh, that's what's always let those songs down for me is he always botches it when he gets the chorus. <laughs> Great verses. I loved, Great energy. I loved that first Weezer record. I got a real soft spot for him. <laughs> so. so do I, but someone like uh, the Sweater song, if you think about how great those verses are, and it's an awful fucking <laughs> chorus at the heart of it. Yeah, maybe. I th it's hard for me to um, 
Just lyrically, like melodically, it's great. Lyrically, I mean, what's he singing about? Pulling my sweater apart or whatever it's like. I know, but I, I was 11 when I heard it and it's sort of, it's stuck in my body. I can't separate, I don't think, because I listened to that album so much when I was sort of 11 or 12 years old. Maybe it's just permeated and stuck and, and I, I don't even think about the fact that he's talking about his sweater coming undone if you pull the thread and making him naked, seeing his Superman skitties or whatever. <laughs> he would have been really young when he wrote it, right? So, I guess it's sort of, you can critique the lyrics, but it's written from a young person. It's, it was a young person who wrote it. And then maybe as you get older, it's like, oh, yeah, that actually kind of sucks. But sorry, continue. You were saying you saw them. I was going to say I saw them- um the summer before COVID, summer 2019, and they were one of the best live bands I've ever seen. Right. Which I was surprised by. I didn't expect that. Yeah, they are solid live. I mean, I guess they've been doing it such a long time. They've made so many records together, and they've got a lot of tunes that they can play. They've made too many records together. Oh, man, arguably. definitely. I know. The, the, <laughs> the last, like, fucking five or something. Fan Weezer. Yeah, uh, fin- <laughs> Was that was that a thing? Did that was that like a? I feel like that was a thing, wasn't it? I don't think that's come out yet. I think that's the next record is called Van Weezer because they wanted to make a rock album for that. Um, what was the tour they were doing? Was that them Green Day and Fallout Boy or something? Oh wow! Yes, that sounds familiar. I just I wasn't sure if there was one of those pe- yeah those petitions to like make them stop making records. Was that did that happen? <laughs> I'm sure. I feel like that happened okay. years ago. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Well, they really like the last five years they've been churning them out. Back to what I was saying at the start about that one a year thing. They're doing it like two a year sometimes. Ugh, but I mean, fuck, what are you going to do, right? You can't, they got to work. They love hanging out. They like writing songs. It's just what they do. That said, that, that, that's also how they've stayed. They've had such longevity. Like if you look at a lot of the other bands from that era, you never hear of them now. Yeah, you got to keep. But the reason they're kind of still hanging around is because they've just kept that. Yeah, it. you got to keep going for sure. And they managed to have like radio hits for many years as well, like all through, dare I say, the noughties. I think they had some some <laughs> some radio hits as well, like that um, Beverly Hills. Beverly yeah, Hills. yeah. And then there was, a, there was another one. And then they had another big one, fuck, from a couple of years ago, like three or four years ago. It feels like Summer, I think it was called. It didn't sound anything like- I actually quite like that song. Yeah, it didn't really sound like- It's a pop Weezer. song. Yeah, yeah, it was just a kind of mainstream pop song, right? So, yeah, they've, they've managed to- And then he's on Rivers Sings on that new Avalanches album. And I think that was one of the singles that they put out maybe as well. So, yeah, he's managed to um, keep it going. Good on you, Rivers. Probably, probably <laughs> a dick. But hey. <laughs> Definitely a dick. Yeah, he's got, he's got to be, right? There's no way he can't be. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.